0: Bye. Hey, everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 79th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Years podcast. We try to put together the best show we can for you every week, but I think you'll like this one more than most. We're going to start with a point about the Chiefs in general and this Chiefs-Broncos game in particular that I think is really kind of being missed by a lot of people. Um, Then we have some great questions here about supporting Kansas City's playoff struggles, Travis Kelsey's part of the offense, and whether it's more fun for somebody like me to cover a team like this with some degree of uncertainty compared to, you know, some of the Chiefs teams that we've had in the recent past. Uh, The bonus section is probably my favorite that we've had in almost two years of this show. To my knowledge, uh, this is the first time that Eric Berry has spoken publicly in three years since he retired. Uh, there is a column um, that's on the website right now, and it's free for all. No paywall on this one, uh, with Eric telling some stories he's never told before about Kansas City, about that last season with the Chiefs, his love for cars, and what it'll take for him to play in the NFL again. Hope you read it, because um, there's some stuff in that column that isn't going to be on the show. And I hope you stick with us to the end of the show, because there's some stuff in this show that isn't in the column so uh let's start with something that surprised me when i saw it when i was looking at this chiefs broncos game um the chiefs are ninth in points um which seems okay but look i I think some of this is a statement of how good the chiefs have been offensively for a while but ninth would be the team's lowest ranking since 2016. and that was the year that they lost in the playoffs to the Steelers, despite not giving up a field goal And that was also notably the loss that really put it in the front office's mind that they needed to make some major changes to push this thing forward. And not just at the quarterback position, um, although obviously that's been a huge part of it, but with a lot of other stuff, too. So, you know, this stuff is real. You you might know, right, the the Chiefs have scored 20 or fewer points in four of their last five games. That's three against the Titans, uh, 20 against the Giants, 13 against the Packers then the you know explosion or whatever, 41 against the Raiders, and then back down to 19 against the Cowboys. So listen to this. Before this, the Chiefs had not had consecutive games of 20 or fewer points since Mahomes became the quarterback. And in fact, the last time that they went 20 or fewer consecutively was that awful stretch of 2017 that was so bad that Andy Reid gave up play-calling privileges. Here's one that's even worse. I told you it's four out of five that they've scored 20 or fewer. The Chiefs have not had a five-game stretch like that since 2014. Do you remember 2014 was the year the Chiefs did not have a touchdown catch by a wide receiver. And it's still the only team Andy's had here that didn't make the playoffs. I mean, it was it was so bad they tampered with Jeremy Macklin to sign him and had to feel like the whole thing was worth it even after they got caught. So that's where this Chiefs team is right now. And people aren't talking about that as much. And I suppose it is for a few reasons. You know, they're still generally moving the ball pretty well. And, you know, most importantly, obviously, they, they've won four games in a row. But there is something fundamentally problematic with the offense right now, which means that this is a really telling matchup right here. Well time for the Chiefs to either show they're getting out of this and ramping up toward the playoffs or, you know, who knows, maybe the other way that this thing is just kind of stuck in the mud and not going to have liftoff because the Broncos have a really good defense. I mean, I don't think those guys can score enough to win this game. We'll see about that. But that defense is legit. They are third in points against. They're third in passer rating against. They've got some playmakers back there, even after trading Von Miller. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a really impressive group to go against. They're fourth in hurries their 10th and pressure percentage um those numbers are according to pro football reference they, they forced multiple turnovers in three of their last four including that pick six last week against justin herbert by patrick certain the second so this group is sort of generally more like the cowboys i'm talking about the defense specifically this this group is more like the cowboys you know that team that, that kept the chiefs in neutral pretty much after the first two drives they're more like that than that raiders team that just kind of folded like a paper bag and Look, this may be stupid, and it's certainly not the way the players and coaches are going to talk or think, but I'm in a place where I'm just assuming the Chiefs will win this game. You know, they're they're 10-point favorites, haven't lost to the Broncos, you know, since 2015. And for me, there's there's nothing the defense can prove against Teddy Bridgewater that's going to make me think differently of them. So for me, this is all about how well the Chiefs, after a bye— After a month of talking about fixing some stuff and executing better and all that, to me, this is about how well that Chiefs offense can perform against a, you know, second or even maybe third playoff weekend caliber defense. So, you know, look, we're still more than a month away from the playoffs, but it's just, God, it's past time for this group to get going because, look, if it doesn't happen soon and if they don't show that they can do it against really good competition, then... Don't you have to wonder if it's ever going to come this year? Okay, guys, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, uh, here comes the spiel. You know we're cool if you only do one, two, or even zero of these three things that I got to ask. But I got to ask the first, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Uh, Reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and and I'll send you a link. Uh, The second, please rate and review us. We appreciate the love you've given us already. Uh, I see you. Thank you. Uh, we see all the five-star ratings you've given us already. Uh, but I'm just saying, if you haven't already done that, if you haven't already given us a rating and review, please do it. It really helps us get the word out. The third thing, if you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone call anytime, 816-234-4365. One more time, here's the number, 816 234 4365 All right guys, appreciate you. Quick break and then we're going to come back with those questions.
1: Hey, this is Travis. My question for the podcast is is sporting KC starting to resemble old classic Mardi Gras, nineteen nineties. Good enough for regular season but fails. Gets better competition in the playoffs. Or even like a money ball example. Good during this season but can't do it or when it's do or die in the playoffs. Thanks.
0: Well, yeah, I mean I, I do think there's some similarities there. And um I mentioned this in the minutes this week, but if if you follow sporting and you also follow baseball, it can be Easy to think about that line from Billy Bean, the A's general manager, when he said, uh, "You know, my, my bleep doesn't work in the playoffs." And um, of course, he didn't say bleep. And uh, I, I do think that there's a similar vibe right now with sporting. Um, you know, Andy Reid. If you think about, it, I know we're caught up in the, the Super Bowl push, and we should be because they've got that quarterback and they've got this talent. But if you look at just sort of the the years, n- number of years. Championships won. How often they're in the playoffs? I mean, it's it's pretty close to where Andy Reid is right now. Um, you know, I but look, before we go too far down all these comparisons, let's we need to recognize a few truths here, right? Like the the most obvious being that uh, any comparison to Marty Schottenheimer. Sporting already won the championship that would have defined Marty Schottenheimer's career and, and would have put him no doubt about it into the Hall of Fame. The, uh, Sporting has already done that. Um, those Chiefs teams in the 90s obviously never did. They never made it to the Super Bowl. So if you're looking for cross-sport comparisons, like, I, I don't know. I just think, you know, again, maybe the more accurate one is, is Andy Reid's Chiefs right now, at least in telling unless they win another one. Um, you know, maybe it's the Packers winning only one Super Bowl so far with Aaron Rodgers, something like that. Um, the other thing that's worth pointing out is that MLS is kind of bonkers. Top four seeds are all gone, done. So it's not like sporting is the only one with some regrets or missed opportunities, right? So look, that's all true, but so is the fact that since the 2013 MLS cup in the blizzard in a shootout, sporting has only advanced three times in the playoffs, And they've never done it more than once in in any single postseason. So, look, like anything, you know, there's some bad luck involved, um, you know, running into the wrong team at the wrong time. But, you know, at some point, you sort of start thinking that maybe sporting is the right team to run into during the playoffs. You know what I mean? So, look, I don't know what the answer is. Um, You know, I know there's been some talk about how Peter Vermees, you know, maybe rides his A lineup a little too hard in the regular season, you know, wearing guys out. And, you know, maybe sort of stunting the development of depth, but I'm not sure I completely buy that. You know, as sort of an overarching explanation, and uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. I mean, they've they've had injuries, like all these other things, and you know, and I say that I'm really not sure what I'd blame all this on. You know what I mean? Like, I watch that team. I talk to people, you know, inside and see how they operate. I mean, that, that is a good organization. You know, they they work with purpose. Um, they're driven. That's, that's what makes this also frustrating because as good as they've been, um, you know, they should have more trophies by now. Absolutely. And, you know, I think for has some hard questions to, to ask himself and the staff. But I think one thing about Peter that I think is easy to miss because of how he is, you know, sort of generally in interviews and on the sidelines, he is really good at evolving. And he's not married to one tactic or one philosophy or one way of doing things. If, if he finds something that he thinks is 1% better, like he's going to throw out whatever it is that he has to replace it with. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I think that he is open to adjusting things. Um, I also think that with every change comes unintended consequences. So you have to look at things from a lot of angles and make sure that something you change to fix, for instance, you know, the, the postseason stuff, if you, if you, have a change that you think will fix that, you got to make sure that you're not creating some other problem that keeps you from getting to the postseason in the first place. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's a complicated deal, but you know, the plain truth is that sporting has underperformed the fair expectation that the club's success has earned. And, you know, you'd rather be sporting than like, you know, Toronto or Houston or Dallas or whatever, but if you're content being out early in the playoffs every year, then you're probably just not competitive or ambitious enough for this level. So, again, I don't know what the move is. I, I wish I did. I wish I had something to tell you. Um, that would make for a great column and a great show, right? Um, you know, I was a little surprised at the move with Iliad, but I also get the money and, and cap space and where they are at midfielder. You know, and, and I also think that way more times than not, when Vermees decides to cut loose, you know, cut somebody loose before some fans would have expected he's turned out to be right. So, But look, I think to me getting caught up in that stuff is is off the point. Like this offseason has to be about more than just that usual roster churn. You know, it's got to be trying to make sure that you're as young and talented and efficient as possible. But they also need to spend time and be honest to themselves trying to figure out how to get out of the cycle they're in and and how to get out of it the right way, you know. Uh, get out of it by having success in the playoffs, not by not reaching the playoffs. So it's going to be a hell of a thing to watch. Um, so, okay, uh, here's Jeff uh, with, a, with the Chiefs question.
1: Hey, Sam, this is Jeff. I'm a Kansas City expat living in Birmingham, Alabama right now. Got a question about the Chiefs. It seems that as Kelsey goes, so goes the offense. When Kelsey has a 100-yard game and he is catching balls left and right, they look like the old chiefs offense that we're so used to. And when he has games where he's not catching anything, the offense looks bad. And I'm wondering how much of that is Kelsey. What's the chicken and the egg here? Are the bad games on Kelsey? Are they on Mahomes? Or are they on the uh, offensive play schemes? Thanks. Love your show.
0: So um, I, I do think that there's something to this. Um I really do. Uh, Kelsey had 23 yards on four catches when the Chiefs put up 42 points on the Eagles. But otherwise, if you look through it, his best games generally line up with the offense's best games. And his worst games generally line up with the offense's worst games. I wrote a little bit about this two weeks ago um, after the Raiders game. And I know there's a lot of factors involved here, and I'm oversimplifying all those things. But for me, the critical part with him is just how he gets off the line of scrimmage because there have been games in his career and this season and the Giants game this year might be the, the the clearest example there are times that the defense is essentially defending Kelsey with like criminal contact I mean just mugged at the line like locked up and just daring officials to keep throwing flags and when they don't It ruins the timing and it ruins his footwork and he's an emotional guy and you can see the frustration on his face and you know with his body language and all that when that stuff happens and you know there's also times that teams play off the line of scrimmage against him and i'm not sure why uh but when he gets those clean breaks he is just impossible to cover with one person you know just like that classic like too big for a small guy too quick for a big guy problem and you know I say that there's a lot of defenders in the league that he's, you know, uh, he's too big and too quick for um, the, the Raiders game to me was really interesting because they tried putting a big corner on Kelsey strong guy, press him, bully him, all that. And Kelsey basically just threw him to the ground and ruined that plant. So that's part of this too. You know, like if you were a hall of fame tight end, and I think most of you would agree with me. Uh, I think most of us would agree that You know, Travis Kelsey is a Hall of Fame tight end. But if that's what you are, then you can't just let a specific type of coverage shut down your world. You know what I mean? There's times that he's just going to have to be tougher and better than the guy across from him. But, yeah, I mean, again, I I do think that there are other factors here. And, you know, it's worth remembering all those things. Like, he needs to see the field the same as Mahomes. Uh, The throws needs to be accurate from Mahomes. Um, Other guys need to be getting open often enough that teams can't just put two guys on Kelsey the entire time. But I do think this is a smart observation in the question. I really do. That Kelsey is kind of the key to this thing working at times. Third down outlet. Chiefs have been great on third downs, but he's sort of the third down safety blanket, all those things. So, yes, um, I I do think that that's critical. Um, Okay, uh, we got time for one more question, you guys. Uh, Here's Ethan. Hey, Sam. My name is Ethan. I'm calling out of Los Angeles. I was wondering, you know, there's been a lot of turmoil
1: this year with the Chiefs' season, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of games maybe they should have won. Um, there's more uncertainty with is the team good or not than perhaps in, in previous years of the Mahomes' era. And I'm curious if you enjoy covering the team more in a year like this year where maybe no one really knows if the team's good or not compared to maybe the past couple of years where the, at least from the outside perspective on the team was, was maybe a bit more confident and, and just kind of how that influences your your enjoyment of your job.
0: Thanks. So look, I have and will continue hopefully, um, you know, to cover this team with energy no matter what, right? Like that's the job. And I've done that with two and fourteen teams, seven and nine teams, nine and seven teams, uh, teams that played in the Super Bowl. I get that those of you that have real jobs, um, that you know, your interest can go up and down based on any number of factors. But this is my job. So I need to be able to find the best stuff I can no matter what. But with all that said, um, I don't think the thing with me is whether the team is confident as much as for me the thing is just whether there's natural storylines that draw people in and interesting characters, uh, specific strategy stuff, human nature, uh, people on the team and in the organization that I can talk to away from you know, press conferences to help me understand things a little bit better, which in turn help me help you understand things better. You know what I mean? So I I would take that stuff with a 10 and 16 over not having any of it with a 16 and zero team or whatever. Here I am still stuck in the 16 game records. Right. Um, So let's just say like 11 and six or whatever and 17 and zero. but you get where I'm coming. Cause I think a lot of times reporters will say, you know, give me 15 and two or two and 15, but you can keep, you know, nine and eight or eight and nine because that's boring but I think that's probably true that there's some really interesting eight and nine teams going forward. And there's some boring winners and losers. So, you know, for me, it's more about those stories. And there were plenty of them in 2012, for instance. Um, but, you know, you asked about fun. And I, <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody would call that season any fun. Um, success is fun. The Super Bowl run was great. Uh, but just honestly, like straight up, the the most fun Chiefs team that I've covered was 2018. And, you know, I mean, my God, (laughs) the stuff Mahomes was doing, you can't say it came out of nowhere um, because a lot of it was on his college tape. But he was doing stuff that nobody had ever done in the NFL. And he was doing it way sooner than even the believers expected. And, you know, didn't it feel like every freaking game was just this like bomb fest where, you know, by the time it was over, you felt like you could write a thousand words just on any one of like 15 plays. So you also had some drama, you know, with the secondary that year and this sort of like cracking between offense and defense, but it's not like anybody could be mad at the offense for that, right? Because Mahomes was basically the the, the perfect player and teammate. Um, I mean, man, just a ton of fun, crazy stuff happening all year, right up into the end when, you know, Travers Ward had the interception, except D Ford had the offsides and then Tom Brady just kept throwing to Gronkowski until the inevitable touchdown. So I probably honestly, like, I I think I've said this before on this show. I know I've written it. um, I probably won't ever stop believing that if Eric Berry was healthy, that the Chiefs would have won that game and then beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, I say that and uh, (laughs) I don't mean it like this, but that might just be the best segue in the history of this show because we're going to take a quick break here and then come back with clips from a conversation i had recently with eric Berry, um and this is the first time he's talked to a reporter talked publicly in a really really long time two three years so um, i think you're going to enjoy this okay quick break and then we're back So the back story here is that a few of us at the Star have been trying to get a hold of Eric Berry for a while now, and we've tried different people. We've tried different forms of communication, like all kinds of things and, you know, just nothing. And then um, a few weeks ago, uh, 100 percent out of the blue, uh, his assistant, an awesome woman named Emily McNeil, uh, reached out and said Eric wanted to talk, that he was selling some cars at the Mecham auction in Kansas City this week. And want to talk about that, knew we would ask him about other stuff too. So um, let's go, <laughs> right? Um, and the conversation was great. Look, Eric is is really smart, um, introspective. He's honest, uh, a specific way of looking at things. And you know the stuff he's been through. I mean, I don't know anyone who can relate to this type of career, right? Like Pro Bowl is a rookie, torn ACL, then a Pro Bowl, All Pro, cancer diagnosis, chemo, then back to the NFL two more all-pro seasons, and then basically an Achilles injury and some other things that ended his career. So, you know, this is going to be a little bit different than we usually do with this bonus section just because um, I think Eric Berry is different, and he was expansive in a way that, honestly, I don't remember him being as a player. And uh, and I think a lot of you will want to hear from him. So, look, the first thing I asked him was just pretty basic. You know, just how are you feeling your days now, right? And uh, we'll let the conversation play for another question or two after that. So here's Eric.
1: Man, um, I'm just still training, you know, just working on some things business-wise and, you know, just staying ready. Um, I have had a few calls to come back to the NFL, but for me, it's really about timing. And uh, I just really need to take a break and really see what was what, if that makes sense. Because I think for a few years there, everything happened so fast. I never really got a chance to reflect and see, like I said, was what, and you know, getting some time to really reflect and think about things that happened, things that I want to do, and things I want to accomplish. I think that was much needed, and uh, I'm just in a real good space right now, and I feel feel really good about where I'm headed. So,
0: uh, I mean, th- there were some uh, reports or rumors or whatever about uh, you being somewhat close, or seriously thinking about coming back. I think it was last season. Was it, Is that true? Mm-hmm. Have, have you been close? Do you
1: expect to to be close? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm close now. Like, I think just from a physical standpoint, I'm where I need to be. Or it's about timing with me. You know what I'm saying? It needs to, it needs to have purpose. It needs to it needs to make sense to me on why I'm going somewhere, or why I'm doing a certain thing. So once I feel that, then that's when you leave me with a uniform on.
0: So I asked Eric to clarify a few different ways about what that purpose is. And the best way that I can sort of translate my understanding of it is that when he was playing the first time, he didn't really fully appreciate how much his story meant to people. He just, he wants to make sure that the timing is right, that his play is where it needs to be, um, that he's doing it for himself and that he is, um, you know, following his own heart, that, you know, he can take in all of what would come with his story, what it is. Does that make sense? So, um, anyway, here's him describing that in his words. We'll play right through another like quick little back and forth. Um, you know, me asking a couple follow-ups. Okay. Here's Eric again.
1: Man, I was, I was operating at a different frequency at that time. I don't know. It was, it was just, I just had some vision on like living and, <laughs> and really just being the best person I could be. Like when people were, telling me things, I would hear it and I would, you know, I would appreciate it. But it was really about, all right, back to what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? So it was, I never really had time to really just say, wow. Like my dad sat me down and said, bro, do you really understand what you did? <laughs> and the answer was no. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> no, nah, I didn't. I didn't because I just, I was just in go mode. Like I was in go mode. And I had a real close friend of mine who was, you know, going, he was with me like right along the way and, it helped him grow spiritually because he felt like seeing me go through that transition from not really being able to do anything to this all-pro player, you know what I mean? And he was right there with me while I was training and even before I got sick, you know what I'm saying? He saw Mm -hmm. the level I was at. Then he saw how chemo and cancer affected me, but he saw how I fought back through that. And it was, I think he firsthand witnessed like divine intervention and that it was, it definitely is a God and a higher power and that affected him. So I was, I was thankful for that because it helped him on his journey too. Um, I just, I want to make sure I understand, you know, as
0: as as well as I can. What I hear you saying is that to come back, you said a purpose, like you need to feel like that you're in a place to accept those messages and, and feel them or am I getting this wrong? No, you're not, you're not getting it wrong. It's just,
1: I feel like everything to me is really artistic when you really look at it. You know, a lot of people, they look at Basquiat or they look at a Picasso painting or they'll look at a fashion designer and say, wow, like they came out with a great piece of art or, you know, they came out with this great collection and they do it time and time again. But a lot of people, like people always say embrace the process, but included in that process is the creative process and the way to express yourself. That's a part of that. So if you look at me and you see, if you deem me a football player, like if I'm an athlete and my art is football, there's a certain way I want to express my art. You know what I mean? And it has to be, it has to be in a way that's very particular and it needs to stand out and be with intent. And people who really know the game, I really want them to acknowledge and see, take that art for what it is. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to be some people that don't understand it as always, but it's a certain level. And it's an acquired taste that I'm trying to present on the field if it makes sense.
0: So that's interesting, right? And, um, you know, I always say we don't really know the athletes and coaches we cover, you know, not in the way we sometimes allow ourselves to think. So I'm keeping that in mind. But I'm also telling you that this is a smart man who has been true to himself through a lot of wild twists, good and bad. And at least to me, he sounded like he's in a genuinely good place um, with or without football. So you heard him say earlier, he believes he's physically there. And there are some athletes who I doubt on something like that, to be honest with you. But um, this is not one of them. Right. Um, And not just because of, you know, being an all pro after chemo. But I think that an athlete, especially a smart and thoughtful one like Barry, I just think that one of the few benefits of going through so many major setbacks and recoveries. I, I just, I, I believe that you get a sort of higher level of understanding of what your body can and can't do. You know what I mean? You, 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 you get a better idea about when you're ready and when you're not, but I mean, still he's going to turn 33 this month and he hasn't played in three years. So, you know, any NFL team that gives him a contract is going to want to test him out first. They're going to want to make up their own minds about whether his body is ready. So it sounds like Eric, you know, feels like he's close to that point. Um, so I did ask him one thing that I think a lot of you would be wondering, which is sort of, you know, if he does play again, if he'd want it to be here um, or, or somewhere else specifically. Um, here's what he
1: said. I just listened, you know what I'm saying? It it have to be the right, the right situation. I'm not ruling anybody in. I'm not ruling anybody out. You know what I mean? It just has to be, it just has to be the right situation.
0: So, OK, uh, partly because the, the sort of spark for him talking to me was that he's selling some cars and they're really gorgeous. These are old school cars. And you guys, I'm not a car guy at all. And these things are pretty sweet. Um, you can get the links to the cars in the column I wrote. But um, anyway, partly because of that and partly just because I think it's a cool story and I've never heard anybody explain their love of cars quite like this. It's a long clip, uh, probably the longest clip we've ever done here, uh, about six minutes. And I'm just being straight up and tell you that the show is over after this. Um, so if you want to get out now, go ahead. Uh, but with full disclosure, um, here's Eric Berry. I thought with a really (laughs) cool story, uh, opening up a little bit about his life. Here we go.
1: Interesting cars. Um, just because I think for me, I I feel like car rides are the best thing. Like I still like to this day, I still cruise. During the season when I was playing, it was on Mondays. Like, Mondays, I would cruise the city, just go see what's going on. I'd ride down the 39th. I'd ride off to Westport. I'd I'd just be riding, you know, listening to music, catching the vibe, you know, and just really, like I said, reflecting and thinking about things. But I think as a child, going on those road trips, you know, I think my, my parents, my daddy's from Mississippi, so driving from Atlanta to Mississippi, hearing him play certain music, having long talks about, you know, experiences that he's had or riding with my granddad, listening to Otis Redding in his pickup truck, you know, going to Tybee Island with my brothers and my mom and my, my best friend and my granny. We all in a minivan going to Tybee Island and, um, listening to music, having a good time. It's just those car rides, they're nostalgic. You know what I'm saying? Riding with my granddad and his Cadillacs, reveal Remembering those moments and remembering the smell of those cars and the type of music you listen to, where y'all went. It's just a nostalgic feeling that yeah. you just can't explain. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's, it's so many memories and things that whether you learn from your parents or learn from your grandparents or people that you rode with, it's hard to explain. It's a feeling that you don't want to let go. And it's a feeling that I, I love. You know, if you take it even to like the older cats that I deal with. When I say older, it's like younger than my dad, but older than me. So like in between, like you got my uncle like that. And then you got, I call him my big bro. Uh, his name is Trell. He's a little bit older. But while I was in high school, they kind of let me be in the mix without getting in trouble, if that makes sense. Obviously, my dad is my dad. And if you haven't met my dad, like, a lot of people, especially back then, they were very uh, intimidated by my dad. And it's like, we can't let nothing happen to EB because we're not going to be able to explain this to j v my dad, or his mom. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's some stuff that they didn't want to deal with. So just to say that, like, it was this big, uh, like, every Sunday in Atlanta, they don't even do it no more. Everybody from all over the city would bring out their old school vehicles. Everything from G bodies, bubbles, transams, box Chevy's, 64 impala's, like all type of rims. You got cars that's just for show. You got cars that's for go, like that that they gonna put on the track and race and do all these different things. And it's like seeing car culture in Atlanta and seeing that like how many people was really into this at a young age. I think I was, I went to my first Mosley Park event, like, when I was 16, and it was, like, the most amazing thing I've seen. Hmm. So it's just a whole bunch of old-school vehicles, not just old-school, but nice vehicles, but mainly old-school that people have refurbished and, and put their own taste on it. And, you know, having my older, my older brother and my uncle, and they, they'll just tell me, like, oh, yeah, those guys, they're from the east side. is how they ride. Or... You know this style right here. You know this is how we ride, and this is we like our rims like this. Or so we like you got to make sure you got this amount of horsepower so you can, you know what I'm saying? In case somebody try you and want to race, you can get away. Like <laughs> yeah. it's just just giving the whole spiel about everybody around the city. Or these folks, they're more focused on their interior. They more focused on the sound system, and just seeing everybody come together and have like a good time. Like it was never any issues, like never shooting or anything like that. It was just mm-hmm. people out there. Just Showing their outfits and showing their cars, and um, after that they would go to this spot called the Mexican on Old National, which I wasn't able to go to until I was like nineteen. My older homies they wasn't risking that. Like I said, they would they would drive all the way from the side, drive me all the way back home to the fair and drop me off, then go to Old National and continue the festivities because it was a, it was like alcohol and stuff like that. But they didn't really want me in that environment, and, and you're not you're not allowed to go in there anyway. But it was just like a real experience. So when everybody left the park, you just saw all these old schools, all different type of old school cars. Beautiful cars. And um them in, in a work in progress too, but you respected it because you like, oh they they car gonna be right when they get done with it. All these cars riding down 25, you know what I'm saying? Heading <laughs> heading to this Mexican restaurant to go chill and eat tacos and have margaritas and tequila and be married without any issues. Like, that was the one day. <laughs> that was the one day, like, the whole city was, like, cool. You know what I mean? With No beef, no problems, or nothing. But that was something that I really enjoyed, and that's something that I wanted not only to continue, but I want to have my own identity with what I do with cars, and even pass that down to my brothers and my children, that whole thing, because it's definitely something that is about definitely about this to be passed
0: along really hope you enjoyed that even half as much as i did and that is the show for this week um, thanks to everybody who called in uh even those we couldn't get to big thanks to uh beth welsh for putting this all together and as always the biggest thanks to you for letting us be a small part of your lives um, have a great weekend you guys be kind